statistically society would say that I would shouldn't be here, uh, but I beg to differ um, because I, I do believe I have value and worth and purpose and uh, that wasn't dictated by how I came into the world. Dear Jane, the life-giving podcast. Born out of remarkably dire circumstances, Stephen Van Holland has an amazing story to tell and we're going to hear it today on Dear Jane. Welcome, I'm Scott Baker. I'm so excited to get to today's guest, Stephen Van Holland, that's spelled S-T-E-V-E-N-T-H-E-N, came into the world under extraordinary circumstances. Because of her mental disabilities, his mother was being encouraged to abort him, but she resisted. We'll let Stephen then tell the whole story. Stephen, then thank you for joining us. Let's start here. Why are you passionately pro-life? Oh man, that's a great question. Um, I think I'm passionately pro-life because uh, this is my story, right? Um, I, uh, when I think about life, it's, you know, just, I had people in my life that saw value in me uh, from day one. And if I wouldn't have been here, you know, and they wouldn't have seen the value of life in me, I wouldn't have be a dad of three beautiful girls, 16, 13, and 10. And uh, you know, be married for 17 years. I just look at so many blessings I have in life and I'm just thankful, you know, to have life. And and when I think about my circumstances, um, I'm the poster child. I feel like in, in some sense, as far as like statistically society would say that I would, shouldn't be here, uh, but I beg to differ um, because I, I do believe I have value and worth and purpose. And uh, that wasn't dictated by how I came into the world. Yeah. So let's get into your story. It's fascinating. Uh, when I first met you, I thought we, we've got to we've got to have Stephen then on the on the the podcast. So tell us your your life story. Okay. Well, uh, I have to start when I was an eight year old little boy. I had some friends of mine at school. They say, "Man, you're weird and different." I'm like, "What are you What are you talking about? That's not nice to say to anybody, right?" And uh, they said, "Well," I said, "You know what's that mean?" And they said, "Well, your skin color." is the wrong color. And I'm, I'm like, what? <laughs> and what they were referring to is my family was Caucasian. They were white. And uh, I know you guys can't see this, but I'm brown. Uh, I'm, I do look a little different than the rest of my family. So that started a conversation that day. I get home with my, uh, my, fa- my mom and I'm on the edge of the bed. And I find out at eight years old that I was brought into their family as a seven-day-old foster child. Um, they officially adopted me at age two. Uh, and I always like to say that, you know, love goes deeper than color. Love goes deeper than DNA or our blood. Uh, this family just brought me in and loved on me. Um, so, you know, also I can say, though, that eight-year-old little boy, even though I knew I was loved, I had questions, right? Mm-hmm. Um, you know, why do why am I the wrong color? Why, um, you know, why is this not my family? Why, why wasn't I born into this family? So it started a you know, a journey for me. Um, I think about the biggest why question is why would a mother not want her son? Uh, that would be something, a question I would carry for, for a long time. Um, but let's, let's fast forward to, you know, I'm married. Um, my wife and I had gone through two miscarriages. I was a youth pastor at the time. So I'm a depressed, uh, middle school pastor, you know, asking God, why again, have we lost these babies? Um, but God used that pain in my life to seek out my mom. Um, I just put it, he put it in my spirit. It's time to look for your mom. So I'm 27 years old at this time, 2009. And, 
I grabbed eight pages of typewriter paperwork that I was given my, by my adopted family when I was early, early on in my life. And they said, Hey, listen, if you ever, you know, want to, you know, seek her out, track her down, here's the information we have. So I took that eight pages of typewriter paperwork. I went on Google and three days later, I find a website for this man named Steve Holt. He's a magician and ventriloquist from Spartanburg, South Carolina. And I know uh, you guys may not know me well, but I don't like clowns. I don't like it. I don't like Chucky. I don't like any of that stuff. So, you know, I'm I'm crossing the screen, throwing holy water on it. You know, like I'm not going on this man's website. But something inside of me just said, you know, you click on his bio. So I clicked on his bio. His name's Steve Holt again. You know, my birth certificate says Stephen Thin William Holt was my name, given name at birth. My birth mom's name was Steve or uh, Glenda Sue Holt. So I'm like, okay, last name matches up. Long story short, y'all, I go on his bio. Every single thing on the paperwork I have from 1982 matches his his family history. And uh, so long story short, I'm meeting my birth uncle online at 27 years old. About two months later, I jump on a plane and go up to meet him. And then he tells me how I came into the world. And he looked at me and said, listen, there were uh, six of us. He was one of six, uh, kids and they their parents died in the early age. They were all thrown into orphanages or foster care. And my mom, Glenda Sue Holt was the baby of those six. And when she aged out of the system, she went into a mental facility. And one night, um, at the facility, she was actually raped by five men. And, uh, from that attack on her, she got pregnant with me, but she only functioned as 11 year old mentally. So she's probably like can't even fathom what's happened to her trying to process that. And then she definitely didn't want anybody to know. So she didn't tell anybody. So she's in the state ran facility, mental facility in the state of Georgia, and they're not giving her options. Right. Hmm. She has no family, no money, no resources. You know, she really has nothing. So statistically in circumstances, you know, some people would say that, hey, this isn't worth this pregnancy is not worth carrying. So they were pressuring her daily to abort her baby. And what's wild to me, <laughs> um, I call her my hero. You know, she she's only 11 year old mental capacity in an 18 year old woman's body. And she still knew the value of life. She literally at some point ran away from there, carried me for the duration of the pregnancy and wound up nine months pregnant in a cardboard box living in behind an uh, old grocery store in this little town called Whitwell, Tennessee. If you're from there, they say, well, uh, don't know how they spell it. But uh, <clears throat> this 16 year old boy was skipping school one day, saw this box move behind the store and he wound up taking her and carrying me at nine months old to his family's home. They cared for us for two weeks until she got, uh, they got us to the hospital on March 31st of 1982. And she gave birth to me in Chattanooga, Tennessee at Erlanger hospital. And everybody wants to know like Steven, then what kind of name is that? And, uh, you know, this 18 year old, 11 year old mental capacity said, I want my son to be named Steven, then William. So William is my middle name. And that was my grandfather, her dad. And Steven was my uncle. So she wanted me to have both names. So the way she spoke it, though, you know, with her uh, mental capacity was in her mind, it was all one. So Stephen then 
William. So Stephenton William, right? So they reported it S T E V E N T H E N. So I'm the only Stephenton in the world, <laughs> according to Google.com, right? But uh, so yeah, that's that's I found out at you know 27 years old that this this is how I came into the world. Um, it's pretty pretty crazy. Uh, that's that's amazing. There's so much to unpack there. So so right. let's start with because um, there's so many things that you can speak to personally. So you're eight years old when you realize that you're adopted. Yes. Right. Take us back to that time a little bit. You, you describe how you realize, hey, maybe I don't look like the rest of my family, that sort of thing. But how did you feel? As, but even then growing up as an adolescent, um, you mentioned how, boy, why didn't my mom want me? Um, sort of help us understand how someone in that position may feel. Yeah, I like to say that um, the eight-year-old Stephenson, I knew I was loved. Um, you know, it, it, I, I people always tease me, like, it, it took you to eight years old to find out you were the wrong color, right? That's what they said. Like, you were a different color than your family. But, but it, it did. It was crazy because love right love it didn't matter about my skin color or my dna or my blood like this was my family from the moment that i was placed into their arms so it wasn't a question of love um i always tease i wrote a book in 2015 called the journey brokenness to wholeness and there's a picture on or on page 36 in my book it's my dad and uh it's the only earthly father i've ever known um he passed away on august 19th of 2014 with alzheimer's but the picture is him holding me as a brand new, you know, soon seven days, eight, nine days old, the picture. And he comes in from work. You know, I thought he was black most of my life because he's working in the coal mines. You know, he, he would bathe and he would come in and hold me on his chest, heart to heart. And um, I got to hold him on his way out of this world like he held me on my way in. So, I, you know, again, I'm I'm. I'm saying I knew I was loved, but even though I knew I was loved, I still was an eight-year-old little boy that just found out <laughs> that this yeah. wasn't my blood family, right? Yeah. So that's the first time in my life I remember asking God why, like that I can really remember, and also feeling broken, you know, because I, I just didn't have answers to like these big questions in life, which the biggest one, you know, why would a mother not want her son? Why did somebody throw me away? <laughs> yeah. 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 And, and, and well, I mean, I think as far as I know, every adolescent goes through a period of I'm weird. I'm, you know, right. just, you know, self doubt, whatever you want to call it. Mm -hmm. Um, and it would just seem to me to be amplified given the circumstance. I mean, did you ask your family why your original mom gave you up or what, what were the conversations during that time? Yeah, I, I did. Um, but they, the, the only thing they had, they actually gave me what I call a gift today was those eight pages of typewriter paperwork. They had it in a folder that they were keeping for me for when this conversation that happened at eight years old happened. And they had journaled a lot um, just to help me, you know, to have like pictures and just handwritten uh, it was basically kind of, um, like a scrapbook that they had made me and they had those eight pages in the front of it. Um, you know, we were very open, open discussion, you know, do you know where, who she is or where, you know, um, where she would be now? Uh, do we have any information which they didn't have any. So that, that was kind of where 
this is all we have is this paperwork, you know? So they, they gave me permission to, Hey, if God puts it on your heart to seek her out, when that time is, we're going to support you. We'll be behind you, but this is all we have. So, and the, did they know about her mental challenges or, or no? No. Uh, I think they, they may have suspected. Um, I think there might've been a little chatter, you know, at like human services or department of human services, but there was no, uh, what's the word, I guess, legal documentation or anything like that, that they had. So. All right. So, so fast forward, then you say you're 27 years old Mm -hmm. and um, you decide that you want to pursue, you want to learn more about your, your birth family. Right. So when you found out the reality for your, your mother, take us, how, how did you feel? Um, you know, the first time you met her, the first time you learned about her, sort of take us into that moment as best you can. Well, um, I, from, from eight years old to the age of 27, you know, when I, when I found out about how I came into the world and all that there, I mean, I, I can't even tell you how many times I thought about looking for my mom, right. Looking for my birth mom, um, I would come like this close, you know, and I'm, it's just right there, like almost about to walk out of the door and do this thing. But the timing was just never right. Like something always, you know, deep down inside my heart, my, my soul just said, no, it's not time. And I'd always stop. But what had happened, my wife and I had actually lost two babies. Uh, we lost our first pregnancy at eight weeks old. And then we lost our third pregnancy at 10 weeks old. Um, so there was this pain that I was carrying you know, this, this talk about broken. Um, and I was blaming myself. Like really it was, I was really um, kind of the enemy had, had told me that it was my fault. Like if we, if we knew, uh, med- if I had medical history, which I didn't have, I still don't have it to this day at 41 years old, I still don't have no any medical history, but that was what led me to really uh, be proactive was I need to, if I could find my birth mom, maybe I could get some answers to help save my kids. <laughs> You know, my, my dad heart, uh, you know, I had matured a lot. Life circumstances had changed. So that's really what led to seeking her out. So, you know, I met my birth uncle and then he tells me she's alive five hours south of where we're standing in his home in Spartanburg, South Carolina. So we jump in the car and drive down to this mental facility and I get to meet my hero, my birth mom for the first time. And all I wanted was to get some answers, right. To see if I could maybe find some medical stuff, but God had such a bigger plan. We were, you know, we had a plan, right. (laughs) And God, God's plans are always better, but we had a plan because again, she's, she's 46 when I'm about, I'm about to meet her, but mentally she's still only an 11 year old child. So, you know, we were processing like, you know, we're going to come up into this mental facility where she's living and it's a group home, you know, men and women and staff. And it's just going to be, here's your 27 year old son. Hi, (laughs) you know, that's going to be pretty overwhelming for anybody, but especially for an 11 year old mental capacity adult. So we were going to do this private interaction in her room. And, you know, just that way, if there was, you know, any complications, if she had, you know, if it was too overwhelming, it's not putting her on the spot. But my uncle is a magician, right, and ventriloquist. So he did a show for the residents just to kind of lighten the mood. And we had a camera rolling, and he does his magic show. She starts, she sings a song, and I just felt led to sing Amazing Grace. 
And I'm singing Amazing Grace, how sweet the sound that saved. And when I hit that word saved, I lost it because not only, you know, am I saved spiritually, but this woman I'm looking at in the eyes saved my life. And she kind of, you know, she she looks at me kind of puzzled and she's like, why are you not singing? You know, that that look. And she just sings the rest of the song. Such a beautiful. <laughs> she sings the verse, finishes the verse for me. And and then a uh, long story short, uh, we meet right there on the spot in front of everybody in the commons area and the video cameras rolling the whole time and picks it all up. <laughs> so I have this treasure now, right. Yeah. That I get to share with the world when I get to speak. And so, and, and her, her initial reaction once she understood was what? Oh, it was just pure joy. Um, we, you know, um, the video, which it's on YouTube, by the way, so listeners can, you, you know, you can go on there and click on it. We just made it available because <clears throat> we feel like it's such a blessing, you know, not just for me to see, but for people to find hope, be encouraged. Um, but uh, there's some subtitles on there to help to be able to hear what she's saying. And she's like, oh, I'm so happy. You know, I would have never, you know, I love you, son. I would have never given you up if I could have kept you. Um, you know, she she realized, you know, even though she was only 11 years old, she now in her mind, you know, she was like, son, you certainly sure have grown tall. You know, like I, I remember I remember, you know, singing nursery rhymes to you and all those things. Like, you know, that was a lot of years ago. Um, mm -hmm. But almost like to me, when I when I looked at her, like even there was a moment where we went, we actually did make it to her room and, and I had made a scrapbook for her that had pictures because she didn't have any pictures of me. So I had I just literally filled it up with as many pictures as I could find to share my story with her through through pictures, you know, of my life and, you know, um, how God took care of me, you know, for her choosing life. And then he uh, my adopted family and um, she starts rocking as she's watching, as she's looking at the pictures. Like she just that I noticed that, you know, like this, it's she's still a mother, you know, um, she just starts rocking as she's looking at her baby through pictures, you know, and and uh, and we capture that as part of the video that you'll see if you go and watch that. And it it just I don't know, it just amazes me, you know, that she's still a mother. She may not have raised me, you know, but she gave life to me and, and she'll always be my mom, you know. Yeah, yeah. And so what about the relationship then from that day forward? Ooh. You mind? I'm going to be real. Yeah. 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 <laughs> um, so it was a beautiful, I mean, it was a beautiful thing. Like, you know, we, um, we actually had 11 years with her. Um, she passed away on Thanksgiving of 2020. Um, she actually, she choked on a sandwich on a peanut butter and jelly sandwich, which is very tragic. Uh, you know, I kind of, not laughing because it's comical, but I'm like, really, Lord, you're going to take her out with a PB and J after all the stuff she's been through in her life. You know, it was one of those questions, you know, again, those moments where I'm like, really? Why, Lord? Why that? Um, but 11 years, beautiful years, you know, spent with um, Mama Glenda, which my daughters, all three of my girls, they're again, they're 16, 13 and 10 now. Like they were young when they got to meet her. So we had 11 good years with they call her Gigi. Uh, grandma Glenda. And, but even though those are beautiful years, they were also painful years because she was in a, she's a ward of the state. She was a ward of the state of Georgia. So, you know, they do the best they can with uh, 
patients like that, you know, they're a lot of times they, they try to put them in a facility that, um, that they can afford, the state can afford, and those aren't always the best. Um, you know, they're converted schools, elementary schools or something. A lot of times they're understaffed. Uh, there's just too many people. So they keep them over medicated sometimes. So I spent 11 years trying to learn about the mental health system uh, in the state of Georgia to where I could try to, uh, as a caring family member, try to get her better care. Uh, it was just something I was constantly trying to, you know, navigate if I could do that for her because she didn't deserve to be right. in med- mediocrity. She deserved the best. Right. Right. Uh, she had honor and dignity. Um, so that was hard for me. I mean, if I'm being honest, like I would drive seven hours, you know, I was about seven hours away where we live and I would go down there and, and I'd get about 30 minutes of quality time with her, you know, before she kind of, it was too much for her. Mm. And then as soon as I turned, <laughs> You're going to get me on this one. As soon as I turned and had to say goodbye and I'm walking down that hall, like my heart's just ripping out of my chest because I don't want to leave her there. Right. You know, she didn't deserve to have to stay there, but I couldn't provide what she needed. You know, that, um, so that was just that constant battle for me. Um, there was pain, but love, you know, there was thankfulness, but also pain. Let's take a break. We'll come back and hear more of Stevenson's fantastic story on segment number two of Dear Jane. Stay tuned. Dear Jane, the life-giving podcast. Are you ready to have your perspective challenged? Introducing Dear Jane, the pro-life podcast that breaks boundaries and brings people together for groundbreaking conversations about the sanctity of life. We're not afraid to tackle the tough stuff, to confront the controversial, and to explore the gray areas that often divide us. Dear Jane hosts the conversations you didn't know you needed to hear. Whether you're pro-life, pro-choice, or somewhere in between, this podcast is your invitation to step outside your comfort zone and join a movement of understanding, empathy, and transformation. On this edition of People You Should Know, we introduce you to Raul Reyes, president and founder of Life Equipped Global. Raul says there is a global abortion holocaust. And there is no institution that can possibly respond to the holocaust. Certainly it's not governments. They're being usurped mostly by the United States government who bribes them into getting into the same philosophies that our country does. It's not going to be Uh, The courts, because the courts are more and more promoting abortion, it's not going to be educational systems. Universities is where so many young men and women are unfortunately exposed to really perverted philosophy. So it's got to be the church. But the church has never been taught about this issue. It's not taught in seminaries. It's not taught in Bible colleges. It's just not taught. Life Equipped Global helps train and equip local leaders around the world with similar tools found at pregnancy centers in the U.S. So we we teach uh, through Zoom. So it's one hour a week for about 18 weeks. At the end of the 18 weeks, they are life advocates. They then receive a certificate, and they're ready to do two things. They are either ready to help a person, whether it be a man or a woman, who thinks that in their situation, an abortion is their only option. They know how to respond with words of hope, words of truth, words of life, words of compassion. Uh, So they can actually help someone choose life. 
they're also equipped so that they are now ready to teach others. Raul says when it comes to training pro-life leaders in other countries, it's important to understand that things are very different than what we see in the U.S. Abortion outside of the United States is, especially in developing countries, uh, Africa, Asia, and, and somewhat in South America, women are, it really is a patriarchal system, unfortunately, where women, often uh, the man is the one that's, that's forcing or demanding sexual activity. Uh, and once the woman gets pregnant, he's the one that's forcing or demanding an abortion. So Africa, for example, has somewhere around 300 pregnancy centers, but but they have, you know, uh, uh, almost a billion, 1.2, 1.4 billion people. So they need 10,000 pregnancy centers. So we get to that point, the church itself becomes the word of life, and wherever you happen to be becomes the pregnancy center. It might be the park. It might be in the cafeteria, right, in school. It could be at work, wherever it is, instead of saying, well, I know a pregnancy center, maybe you should call them. The person now says, hey, let's go have a cup of coffee. Let's have a, you know, I understand that this is a really difficult time for you. Let's go have a a, a cup of tea and talk about it. And they're trained and they know what to say and they can save lives. To learn more about the work being done by Life Equipped Global, visit lifeequippedglobal.org. Looking for a marketing agency that truly understands your pro-life mission? Choose Life Marketing is here for you. With our specialized services in web design, digital marketing, fundraising, and branding, we empower organizations like yours to affect life-saving change in your community. Together, we create a culture that values and protects life, one marketing message at a time. Join us in building a stronger community, one life at a time. Choose Life Marketing where your mission matters. Dear Jane, the life-giving podcast. And we're back here on Dear Jane, visiting today with Stephen Holland. And Stephen has been uh, sharing his amazing story with us, just uh, the the courage of his birth mother in giving birth to him under really painful, extraordinary circumstances. So Stephen, we were talking about um, your experience after you met your mother, uh, your birth mother, and the years that you had with her, they were kind of bittersweet, weren't they? Yeah, I think bittersweet, but it's more sweet now because, uh, yeah. you know, I'm a believer, a man of God. She she loved Jesus. There, If you watch the video I was talking about earlier, she says, I love Jesus, and that's enough for me. <laughs> so as far as I'm concerned, the way I believe, uh, I think that I'm going to see her again. I think she's whole and complete and restored now. So that's the hope that that I have, you know, that we have. The, uh, that's the sweet part. Yeah. So, yeah, it might be bitter. There's some bitterness, you know, right here in this moment. I mean, it still hurts to talk about it. It's still painful. Sure. I know, I know that there I know that there's a there's a sweet, sweet time of reunion coming, um, yeah. you know, sooner rather than later. Did you have a chance, the two of you, did you talk with her about that time that she was pregnant with you and her thought process? I mean, that it would have been difficult and who knows how well the memory was, but did you have those type of conversations? Um, 
No, I, no, not not. I mean, I, I asked her like one thing specifically. I asked her was, "Did you really name me Stephenson?" You know, that was that was a burning question I had. Like, did you name me this, or did did they make a mistake in the hospital? And when you hear her say it, it's Stephen then William. Like it's all one. She says the first name and the middle name. So I truly believe that she meant for it to be Stephen then William. Like that's what she wanted my name to be. So they, you know, so I got, that was one that was just the beautiful, you know, I had to ask, I wanted to know, yeah. like, where did that yeah. come from? But the fact that my adopted family kept the name, I think is a miracle, you know, like they wanted to honor her. They didn't even know the story, but they just wanted to honor her. But you know what? I, I haven't really been asked that question, but I'm thinking I probably, whether it be subconsciously or consciously, I don't think I wanted her to have to relive it. Mm-hmm. Um Yeah because hadn't thought of that yeah you know like i because that wasn't i guess on my agenda sure uh, you know like i a lot of times it was like when i first met her i'm just awestruck you know that this is my this lady saved me <laughs> you know yeah. against all odds and i just i just if i just got to look at her and tell her i love you and thank you that was enough for me um yeah i guess i wonder how why she was pro-life i mean why why did she you talked about the pressure she was under and i mean making the choice and but the level of sacrifice Mm -hmm. makes me just wonder why (laughs) oh man you know what i mean do you know what i mean by that though no it's amazing it's a miracle i mean i and i don't say that just i mean it's my story and i still like i'm just in awe of what you know but only God, you know, and I, and I look at not that I'm, you know, I know some people could hear this and, oh, he thinks he's, you know, better than it. And it's not that at all. I'm just, I know God has created me for a purpose. Like he preserved my life for a purpose. And I think I walk in that, you know, uh, I was blessed to be, you know, the third most booked pro-life speaker in the country last year. And there's a, you know, I'm thankful for that. I'm thankful that I get to stand on stages and and proclaim life to affirm life and champion life and uh, hopefully challenge people, hopefully challenge people's perspective on on the life issue. And, you know, I I know that I've been in spaces where I've shared and I've had people come up to me and say, listen, you, you know, there was, when it comes to rape and incest, I was kind of leaning this, you know, the other way. And now that I've heard your story, like it's changed my perspective completely. And if I, you know, me sharing, be vulnerable enough and, and open, I say courageous, cause it's not easy. Right. You know, I got to touch my pain a lot when I share, but I've seen people find healing when I touch my pain and, and it's worth it. Yeah. Yeah. Well, and thank you for sharing that, that, I wanted to, you and I had a chance to visit a while back and I knew your story. I just, I wanted our listeners to hear it. Um, And so let's, let's go there with what you just mentioned. Um, You know, that that's a big, within the, even within the pro-life movement, there's a Mm -hmm. lot of different feelings of, well, what about those really, really tough circumstances? We always hear rape and incest. Mm -hmm. Um, But rarely do we get a chance to hear from someone who was the result of that and now is leading a thriving life. When you find yourself in that conversation with people, what do you share? My story. Yeah. I mean, (laughs) how do you help them navigate that, that debate? 
Yeah. Well, and I, and I know that was a, that was a short answer, but it, it is true. Um, I share my story and I know, you know, some of in the pro-life movement, we have some people that are, you know, different approaches and I feel like, uh, you know, what God's kind of called me to do is to, to be bold, to share my story. And uh, yeah, it's confrontational sometimes, but my intentions are, I'm just going to share my story and, you know, drop mic and walk away, <laughs> you know, because just because, like you said, I'm, I'm the, I'm the person, I'm the baby, like, you know, I'm the child that was a result of, you know, the, a gang rape of this 18 year old woman. And, but I'm still here and I still have purpose. So the circumstances of how I was conceived didn't decrease my value as a human being, right. That, um, even though, uh, someone else, cause I, I've thought about, you know, there were times in my life, even early on, I think when I started sharing my story, I would say stuff like, well, it wasn't fair that my mom had to go through that. Well, it wasn't fair, but that's also, as I started processing and thinking about, and I say this when I speak sometimes, could there be purpose in pain? Hmm. Could there be purpose in pain? And I don't believe, you know, again, this is maybe some deep theological doctrinal type stuff, but I don't, you know, I think God's all holy. Right. And I don't think that um, he made that happen. You know, this evil happened and then he stepped into that and brought beauty from, you know, the the cliche is brought beauty from ashes. Right. Mm -hmm. Brought beauty from this terrible situation. Um, so yeah, it's not fair that it happened to my mom, but also, you know, I can look back now and say that God had a plan though for it. Um, yeah, it's big, it's big. And I, you know, sometimes I can feel like, man, I'm, is, am I being selfish in saying that? Like, well, no, I don't think so. You know, when you look back and say, you know, my, my, my adopted mom, you know, we have conversations. I talk to her almost every day. Uh, she'll be almost 80 years old. You know, my dad passed away almost, you know, a little over nine years ago. So she gets lonely and, you know, we, and we talk and I tell her when I'm traveling and every time she's like, it just amazes me how, <laughs> you know, how, how your little mama got all the way to this little small country town in Whitwell, Tennessee, and they had had a miscarriage two years prior. So they were, God used that pain to open up their hearts to start foster parenting. And if that wouldn't have happened, we wouldn't have brought, we wouldn't have had our home open to bring you in. Wow. And then, then to look at, you know, then 27 years old, you get to meet your mom and then you capture this film. And then, then, you know, it's just like all these little God winks or God moments of how he was orchestrating his plan that maybe we can't see. And it's too big for us to even comprehend, honestly. But when you just slow down long enough and just start dissecting and seeing like he was in it the whole time. So, so again, you ask why, um, it's just God, you know, (laughs) I don't know. I don't know any other way to say it. It's, it's too big for me. Sometimes I just sit back and it's a miracle. It truly is a miracle that, yeah. Yeah. So, the name of this podcast is Dear Jane, and that's in reference to Jane Roe of mm-hmm. the original Roe v. Way. But as you think of the Jane of the 21st century, um, uh, the, the woman who out there, let's say she happens upon this podcast, and whatever her circumstance may be, she finds herself with an unplanned pregnancy. What would be your message to her? <laughs> For anybody that may be listening to this podcast that you're 
you feel like the Jane or that you um you find yourself in the unplanned pregnancy and all those things. I just I think the biggest thing is you're not alone. You are not alone. Um I, I get the pleasure of working with beautiful organizations all over the country. I've been blessed to be in 39 states and every single one of them I can say without without hesitation. Um they will love you unconditionally if you step foot into those places, a, a local pregnancy center that can help you. There's gonna there's gonna be a place of hope and a place of love. And I think if if you can just realize it, just just to get a glimmer of hope, like just that small, minute, I mean, just a spark that hey, I can do this. There's still there's hope for me. Cause that that's the beauty of you know, uh of the pro-life movement is think people think, well, we're saving babies. Well, yeah, we are saving babies, but really we're loving and bringing hope to moms. Right. So like my birth mom didn't have that, but she deserved that. She had value. She had worth just like you do. So that would be my encouragement to you that you are not alone. And there's people literally with open arms and open hearts, just waiting for you every day. Um, to walk through their doors and and get support and get loved on. So, yeah, you're not alone. You can do this. So tell us where we can find the video. You said it's on YouTube. It is. Uh, it's on my uh, Stephenthon Holland, H-O-L-L-A-N-D, Stephenthon, S-T-E-V-E-N-T-H-N. Uh, it's on my YouTube channel. Um, the title, I believe, is something along the lines of 27 year old man meets birth mom for first time. What a moving story. Uh, can't tell you how grateful we are that you shared it with us today. Stephen, thank you very much. You're welcome. Thank you for having me. Dear Jane, the life giving podcast. My thanks again to Stephen Holland for joining us today on dear Jane do, do yourself a favor and look up his video. Uh, at his website, Stephenson, or go to YouTube and look up his channel, Stephenson Holland. The video where he meets his birth mother will just move you. It just will. So check that out and uh, check out his website. Powerful story of love and hope and courage from Stephenson Holland. Thank you for listening to Dear Jane. Don't forget to like or subscribe so you can be made aware when we have new episodes. You can also check us out on Twitter or Instagram. Just search for Dear Jane Podcast. Our producer is Kate Yule. Our editor is Jacob McCormick. I'm Scott Baker. Thank you for listening.